Well, we're uh, continuing, as you may notice in your bulletin, we're continuing this series. Where we're working through the, the book of Galatians, and hopefully it's been as refreshing for you as it has for, uh, been for me, just week on week, and just being reminded of the freedom that we have in Christ. And this morning, as Eric even mentioned, we're going to be in chapter 5, and so if you want to turn with your Bibles there, even now, we're just starting in verse 1, and he starts off in the very beginning of this section with a, a really a clear picture of God's desire for every single believer to experience. And she mentioned the verse there. I love this beginning of Galatians 5, 1. For freedom, Christ has set us free. It's kind of a statement where you're like, wait a second, isn't that kind of saying the same thing twice? But really, the, the description there is it's the desired outcome of Christ's work on the cross was that we not just experience freedom at a, a time and point uh, as a moment, but an ongoing freedom that we continue to experience as a life in Christ. And so that's the, the invitation that we're going to be talking about and what God's desire is. But the truth is, a lot of us, if we're honest, can get kind of off track with what really freedom is. There's a lot of confusion in our culture of like, well, what, what is that freedom? We, we see that statement thrown around a lot like, oh yeah, experiencing my freedom in Christ. And we throw that around as a, as a trump card, a lot of times being misused for some of our behavior and some of our actions. So I want to propose the question this morning of what if our confusion about freedom actually unknowingly puts chains back on us? What if our confusion about freedom unknowingly puts chains or shackles back on us? And we're going to be talking this morning through this text, and I've labeled the title of this, this morning's message, Jailbreak, because that's really my hope, is that the jailbreak actually happens where we're set free to actually understand freedom the way that God designed it, the way that He put it in place. Not our definition of freedom or the world's definition of freedom, but His definition of freedom. I was talking to Stephanie, who's one of our office managers here at the church, and she was telling me about an interaction. If you know Stephanie, she's got a real fun, outgoing spirit. She's talking to somebody at Starbucks last Sunday morning and just interacting, just making small talk. And she said to the person in line, a, a woman there, she's, uh, she's like, hey, happy Sunday. The woman looked at her and she's like, I'm not going to church today. And Stephanie's like, whoa, I didn't even ask if you're going to church today. And she's like, I did that for 18 years. Stephanie's like, well, do you love Jesus? That's why I go to church. And I was like, interesting. I was interesting. The confusion that the woman had was like just bubbling out of her. Like she's getting confused if it's something that we're obligated to do or it's something that we're responsible to do rather than it being an opportunity for us to come together to worship somebody that we love. And so that confusion, it just doesn't confuse the outside world. It also confuses a lot of times us in the Christian world where we start thinking that like, yeah, we're, we're free, but what is, the, what is the point of that freedom when there's still these lists that I feel the weight of having to fulfill? Well, this morning my prayer is, is that there's a jailbreak that happens in this community, in this body of believers where we're released from some of that and we have a better, clearer understanding of what real freedom looks like. And I recognize that's only possible through the work of the Holy Spirit. And so let's start by just praying towards that end. Dear Lord, we just come to you right now this morning just humbly, just acknowledging that, that maybe some confusion about freedom has slipped into our own lives and minds, and maybe that has imprisoned us more than we even realize. 
more than we even recognize. I pray that your spirit would speak through this text this morning and that there would be a jailbreak that happens that sets us, us free. And so when we sing songs about freedom, it's coming from a, a place of real freedom that we're experiencing in you, only possible through you. We pray now that I would be small, you'd be great, you'd speak through this text. In Jesus Christ's name we pray, amen. We notice in the second part of verse 1, kind of his heart for his audience as he's writing to them, he has this, uh, he recognizes that there's a pretty strong pull towards confusion about freedom. And really, we're going to see in our, in our section of scripture this morning that it falls really in two main categories, the category of legalism in the category of license. And we're going to explain what both of those looks, but there's a tug that comes that's unbelievable that we can get sucked into. That's why he starts, he continues in verse 1, he says this, he says, Stand firm, basically based on this freedom that we're invited to, stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. This idea of stand firm, stand firm tells you that there's something that's pulling, something that's tugging pretty hard if you need to dig in and and dig in your heels and stand firm. There's something pulling another direction. We're going to see in verse 2 that that direction, what we're pulled towards. We're going to start with this section describing it. I titled it the chains of legalism. There's definitely a tug that direction. Look in verse 2, it says this. Look, I, Paul, say to you, That if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. Wow. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. Let's pause there. A couple things to, to point out. The first thing you, that you'll notice, he, who's he talking to? He's describing those. He says, if you accept circumcision. And that isn't to say that anybody in this context, he's not, he's not, this isn't a personal attack against those that have been circumcised. That's not the point. He's saying to them, any of you that have chosen to place your hope in something other than Jesus' death as payment for your sins, anybody that has placed their hope in your own works or your own deeds, you fill in what it is for you. Anybody that's placed your hope in that, then, then there's some consequences that. Legalism is counting on your own efforts to gain favor with God. And he's confronting that right out of the gates there. He's saying, hey, let's, let's stop and think about this, he's saying to the audience. Let's think through what that actually means. If you are putting your hope in self and your efforts, there's some things you need to think about. He lists four different things that he cautions them towards. The first one that you'll see in verse uh, verse 2 there, he says, Christ will be of no advantage to you. In other words, there's no need for Christ in the life of somebody that's doing things on their own. If you've kind of chosen that route, if you're like, you know what, I'm just on my own works path, I'm going to earn favor with God, I'm going to do this, then Paul's saying, hey, be careful what you wish for. Be careful because there's no place for Christ in that works-based system. He's not necessary, right? Does that make sense? He's saying if you're trying to earn your deal, Jesus isn't even necessary. He's He's not in the equation. But think what a dangerous statement that is. Do we really want to say that by our actions? Do we really want to say like, hey, Jesus, I don't need you. That's what our actions are saying. 
when we make the choice to live based on our own works, and that's the system of, uh, of pleasing God or finding favor with Him, He's not necessary. He's like, think about that before you go down that road. The second thing He points to in verse 3, you're obligated, if you're going that route, you're obligated to keep the whole law. Listen, if you're going to go down the works road, guess what? you got to keep every bit of it. Every single, must keep the entire law, which is, which is a crazy thought to think about. Like you're, the whole thing, every, like no room for error. I was at a, a pastor's conference this week in Phoenix, and our, we had a later starting session. And so my a friend of mine who's a pastor, we snuck in a quick round of golf. I'm not a golfer. I golf like maybe every six months. And he likes it a lot. And so I was like, oh, sure, we'll do it. And it's kind of funny because we were trying to search around where the cheapest possible place uh, was to golf. And we found this retirement village <laughs> that had a special deal. So it's the two of us in this retirement village. But, um, but it was funny. So we're golfing, and I realized, like, Man, there's not a whole lot of there's not a whole lot of room for air. Like there's desert on, on this side, desert on this side, and like, and I'm terrible at golf. I, I never cease to amaze myself. Like I progressively get worse every time I play. Anybody else like this? Like, what a miserable and the harder you try with golf, what happens? the worse you play, right? Like, and, and I asked him this one time, I just shanked the ball off to the right. I mean, it was, I mean, there was a, a scorpion running with my ball off into the desert. And like, and I, I'm like, I'm like, man, do, do I get a mulligan? He's like, no, nope, there's, there's no mulligans here. And I was like, anybody know what a mulligan is? It's like a free shot. And what, what Paul's saying is basically the similar idea is just like, guess what? If you're going to play by those rules, you've got to play by the rules. Every single one of them. There's no room. Absent of Christ, there's no room for failure. You're, you're set up. You're, you're destined to fail. And so he's like, let's stop and think about this before you really decide you want to go that down that road. Are you sure about that? Like, you sure you want to go down that road? Because you've got to keep the whole law. And then this next, this next idea, another reason or another chain of legalism, is this idea of pre- presented in verse 4. He says this, you were severed from Christ, scary thought, you who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. You have fallen away from grace. This idea, I'm, I, I labeled that transformation interrupted. Let me explain what I mean by that. The first, upon first reading, you might read fallen away from grace and you're like, wait a second, I... I thought we couldn't lose our salvation, and that is correct. It's very important to, to read the whole of Scripture, not just get an isolated verse and like, oh, wait a second, what, what's happening there? It's true that once saved, that, that there's nothing. In fact, Jesus in John 10, 28 re- reiterates, there's no one will snatch them out of my hand. Once truly saved, you're always saved. But Scripture is also full of many examples in the New Testament of people that have maybe sampled grace, tried it out, like liked the idea of it, but then, yeah, just it never really took root. It never, it never really, they never really chose to engage. They liked the idea of it, but the idea of living in it, like that never actually, and so there's plenty examples of people not losing salvation, but people that weren't ever really honestly saved, which is a, which is a scary reality. 
I, I like the idea of the, the, the picture of someone that maybe had dated God. They've been out a few times. They've, they've enjoyed his company. They, they've maybe even uh, went on a weekend away. They've enjoy, enjoyed, they went to a camp when they were a kid, but they never, if you think of it in this terms, they never put a ring on it. They never decided to make that commitment to say like, no, I'm fully in. I'm, I, I'm committed to this. I was reading this thing on Facebook this week. It had some uh, pictures of funny responses of kids during tests. And oh, well, this, this one example that they had, it had the question was obviously a science question. And the test had said, why are there rings around Jupiter? And, uh, and the, ki- the kid's, re- kid's response was, God made it, he loved it, and he put a ring on it. I thought that was kind of funny. <laughs> And so I, I was just thinking about similarly our relationship with Christ. Like it, it, we're, we're beyond the just trying it out. We've committed to him. But what he's pointing to is not about losing salvation, fallen from grace. But the reality is, the reality in the way that the process you've got accepting Christ, where you made the decision to accept him as your Lord and Savior, you finally bent your knee and said, I can't do this on my own. I embrace what he's done on the cross rather than my good works. That happens. But then the process of sanctification, if you're familiar with that word, of becoming like Christ is a lifelong thing, right? Amen to that, some of you that have been following Christ for, for a while. But the reality here that he's talking about when he says fallen away from grace, when he's pointing to that, I liked how one commentator, actually MacArthur, uh, some guy that lives in the area around here. Um, just kidding. Uh, but he had the great quote, it's in your notes, that I think captures this well. Contrary to justifying grace, what saved us, justified us, sanctifying grace is interruptible. Sanctifying grace is interruptible. Does that make sense? The idea that, that like one of the things that gets in the way of God sanctifying us or making us more like himself is when we start shifting back to living in the flesh. When you're like, man, why haven't I moved along further in my walk with Christ? Why is it 10 years passed and I'm still at the same place? I'm still in this like stagnant spot. Maybe, I want to propose based on this text, maybe there's some things that we're doing that interrupts what God wants to do in our life, right? Maybe there's some things that hits the pause button that, that says, you know what, like I know you wanted to do this work, but like I'm going to go back to, that's the freedom that he's confronting. That's, that's what Paul's attacking here. If you're going to live by the flesh, it has the potential to interrupt our transformation. The fourth thing you'll see in that same section as causes, as he's warning people, if you're sure you want to go down this road, he says this. He says, eagerly in verse 5, he describes us. He says, for through the Spirit, the Holy Spirit living us, by faith, we've put our trust in Jesus Christ, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. It's an interesting thought. The idea of righteousness, there's two different ways to pursue righteousness. Righteousness that's on our own effort, that doesn't need to eagerly wait, right? That's something that we strive for and we work harder for. True righteousness, what God offers, is by Him through the power of His Spirit working through us. His, he's the one that's defining right and wrong. He's the one that's transforming us in His timing, 
in his timing, not our timing. So like, all right, today I'm fixing everything. By the end of today, I'm going to have it all together. Anybody start your day like that? No, that, that's not the process. I like this picture that he describes as eagerly waiting, eagerly waiting for the hope of righteousness. Us sitting back and saying like, all right, God, what are you going to work on next? What are you going to transform next? What are you going to do in me? I'm excited about that. What if we started to see our walk with Christ like that? All right, God, today, are you going to make me a little more tender? Yeah, it's tender. I need tender. My wife tells me that. Uh, do I, do I, are you going to make me more compassionate? Like, is that going to be the thing? Like, are you, going to, are you going to help me with being a little bit more bold for my faith? Is that what you're going to work on? Are you going to make me lo- less judgmental? Like, I don't know. That's, that's an exciting pursuit of a relationship with God. God, waiting on you eagerly, what are you shaping next? That brings back excitement, not a list of rules. It's dependent on his spirit working through us. How are we doing with that? Are we sucked into the rules of legalism where I'm going to, in my own effort, pursue my transformation? It's, it's a slippery slope, as he's pointing out here. So he goes through those four things. No need for Christ if you're doing it yourself. Must keep the entire law. Transformation is going to be interrupted. And then the last one there, it's, it's not going to be real righteousness anyway. Even if you do figure it out, even if you pursue perfection, it's not going to work. So he's cautioning them to the dangers of license. So that's the first pendulum side of the pendulum a lot of people swing toward is legalism. Just lists of things to do. The other side of the pendulum I mentioned at the beginning, so legalism is one. The other warning that he gives us is against the idea, not of legalism, but the, I, the idea or the dangers of license. Dangers of license. And I'm not talking about the 15-year-old that just got their permit. There's definitely dangers there. But let me explain what I mean by license. We're going to jump down a few verses to verse 13. We'll be back. Don't worry. Verse 13 paints this picture of license. It says, for you were called to freedom, brothers. It was an invitation. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. License is forgetting about the law altogether. Saying like, how, how often do you see believers that use that example of just like, you know what, I've got... I've got freedom in Christ, and they use it. They get confused that I'm free to pursue my wants and my desires. They use it as a license for, for, uh, for secular living, saying like, well, you know what, I've got freedom in Christ. you got your cigarette in one hand, beer in another at the nightclub. You're like, I'm free. You know, like, wait, wait a second. You're, you're missing it. You're missing the idea. That's the other end of the spectrum. That, that's a, it's a dangerous confusion to, to think that license, freedom in Christ, means I get to do whatever I want. I get to pursue the things, the passions that I think will satisfy me. A lot of people think like, well, that's the freedom. That's actually true freedom. And in fact, our culture feeds us that idea like, oh, you're really free when you get to do whatever it is you please. We, we joke about that going off to college and now I have freedom. Like, wait a second. That's confusion. That's not, that's not freedom. That's license as it's outlined here. In verse 15, he points to some cautions with that. He says, But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. This idea when you're living only for yourself, 
When me, me, me is the agenda, what happens? When everyone around us is only pursuing me and my desires, what happens? You're starting to bite and devour. You do whatever it takes to get on top. How many times have you heard the expression, we live in a dog-eat-dog world, right? Like, do whatever it takes that I excel. Do whatever it takes that I rise further to the top. That's the mentality. That's what he's saying. He's like, listen, when, you, when it's all about you, when it's a license for the flesh, then it becomes just a world of everybody pursuing their own desires. And it, it describes it. It's interesting. It says, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Consumed. This idea of like, listen, when you're both all pursuing self, there's going to be some casualties. I uh, remember growing up, my, my dad always liked those Rocky movies. I don't know if anybody watched the Rocky movies, and wasn't there like 17 of them? Uh, but, uh, but I remember the, the second one, it was Rocky versus Apollo Creed. I remember the last fight that they're, they're, they're in the middle of the fight, and both of them swing, they both connect, and what happens? They knock each other out. They're just both laid out there for the count. It was about who's going to get up first, and I was like, man, what a... What a clear picture of what this world that we're in is like. It's like everybody's just, they don't, they've got their eyes closed, they're just swinging, they don't even care who is in their wake because it's all about me. I don't care what happens to somebody else in the process as long as I'm climbing up. This week I was merging onto traffic uh, in Phoenix, in fact, so we can't blame the LA drivers, but uh, I was merging onto traffic and it was that one, of those, one of those crossroads where there's space to get over with the car there, but then when you start to put on the blinker and move over, what happens? person starts to speed up, right? They're like, well, yeah, you had a window to get in, but you missed it. You know what I mean? And, and, and while I'm driving, I realize that there's a cement barrier that I'm heading towards, and I'm like, wait a second, this person just sped up to save that millisecond of time at the risk of killing me. Like, really? Like, think about that. How crazy is that, that we do these things to get ahead? But isn't that a, anybody else have that happen ever? Or am I the only one? And so maybe it's just me. Um, but, but this idea, this idea of doing whatever it takes to just get not even a ton ahead, just a little bit ahead. That's what our culture is, the bite and devour mentality. It's a dangerous way to live, but it doesn't have to look like that. This idea of license, this idea of legalism, God did, that's, not the, that's not what God put in place. In fact, that's what he, he's going to paint the picture here in verse 6 of an alternative way of living because that other way, without the guardrails, you only crash. Take a look in verse 6 as this alternative of unshackled love. It says, for in Christ Jesus, that's a major statement right there, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Let's pause there for a second. First thing that you notice, as I mentioned, is for in Christ Jesus. That's the starting point. Everything he's saying to his audience, he said, when we started to live in Christ Jesus, all of a sudden, the debate between circumcision and non-circumcision, that's not even in the conversation. There's been a paradigm shift. That's a, that's a pointless thing. There's going to be people still arguing theology in hell, unfortunately. Like this idea, he's saying, like, that's a mute point. Because the reality is, the reality is, when, it's, when you're in Christ, the freedom that we have, then this is the essence of Christian freedom, is that this, and this is important, it's not about me. 
it's not about me. That's freedom in Christ. That's freedom in Christ. All of a sudden, you're in Christ. It's all about him rather than me. It's all the, the freedom of taking off the me helmet and saying, you know, it's not about me. That's an amazing thing. We're now in love with the one in whom we've placed our faith. We're now in love with the one in whom we've placed our faith. We've redirected the attention and focus of our life from me to him. That changes everything. It's a paradigm shift. It changes everything. No longer is it about circumcision or not circumcision. He's not trying to battle those, but he's saying, hey, that's kind of a mute point because it's all about Christ. What you'll notice when you make your life all about Christ is certain sins and things that you fell into before all of a sudden get kind of dim. It's like no big deal anymore. You're like, that's not even an attraction anymore. Think about it. Think about it. When there, The truth is, is that Jesus, when you're walking close to him, when he's our primary, Jesus in sin can't coexist. Jesus in sin can't coexist. You think about it, how, how it works. A lot of people are like, yeah, I have an anger issue that I'm working on. You don't have an anger issue. You have a Jesus issue. The Jesus issue, issue is when you're walking close to him, anger, like that's not even a factor. That's not even, think about back in your life with different seasons when you're really walking close to the Lord. Some of those, those things, those things are just like mute points. Like you, you, you wouldn't say I have a, a pornography issue. You'd say, no, I have a Jesus issue. I have a Jesus issue because when Jesus is in the rightful place, when we're walking intimately with him, when he's, when we're in Christ Jesus, all of a sudden those things are no longer because then things change. You're acting out of faith. What does it say there? But only faith working through love. All of a sudden, there's something that's compelling us. It's a different motivator. You're working through love rather than out of duty. We now have an inward compulsion of love rather than the outward compulsion of the law. That's freedom. That's exciting. Now work is not now a product of faith. It's not, a, it's not a substitute for faith. It's a product. It's the byproduct of that. That's freedom. That's freedom in Christ. He expounds on what this love looks like in verse 13 and 14. He says this, Through love, because of love, love working through us, through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. It says through, you, through love. When you love someone, you want to serve them. That's just the natural outcome. I love this quote. I have that in your, your notes. It says, you can serve and not love, but you can't love and not serve. Can't love and not serve. It's just a natural outcome. When you really love somebody, you just naturally serve them. That comes out of who we are. One of the fun things, I was at this pastor's conference, and I was away, and uh, each Sunday I want to make sure that I have a, a shirt that's nice and ironed. And so uh, one of the things that uh, was, was funny, when I came back, I, I looked in my, my closet, and I hadn't even said anything about it. I didn't mention anything. I look in my, my closet, and there's like 30 shirts perfectly ironed. I was like, what in the world? Like, uh, and, and I was like, uh, and Adrian's like, yeah, maybe not 30. Uh, uh, Five, uh, but uh, but uh, but the but the the truth is the point being is one of if you think back across the landscape of your life the common denominator the common denominator with the people that you genuinely love is you you serve them 
people that you genuinely love, like that's a natural outflow. That's what he's saying here in verse 13 and 14. He says, through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in that idea, in this idea of serving. It's fulfilled. That's, that's when it comes to completion. Think about it. When you love somebody, think about the Ten Commandments. When you love someone, you don't steal from them. You don't covet their stuff. You don't lie about them or to them. You don't, you don't, you don't try to, you don't, you don't covet the things they have. You don't, you don't try to, you definitely wouldn't murder somebody you love. You know what I'm saying? Like that's his point there. He's saying when something's compelled by love, that's, that, then the rest of the law works. It makes sense. It's doable. It's achievable when it's compelled by love. When it, it all hinges on that, the whole law. But the, even that, though, sometimes I think about that. I was like, yeah, well, ju- just love. But the truth is it's important that we understand that the basis for that love, it has to start, what does the text say? In Christ. It starts there. I'm not capable of it. I'm not a naturally loving person. That's not innate to me because I have a sin nature. But the truth is when I'm in Christ, when I'm back to the foundation of my faith, who I've, when I'm in love with him, then he, his, his love flows out of me. That's why it describes there talking about in the spirit. But this doesn't come without some opposition, this, this new kind of unshackled love. That doesn't come without some resistance. Take a look in verse 7. It says this, you are running well. You're doing a great job loving people. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view. And the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. And this last statement, pretty strong. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. Wow, we'll get there in a minute. Uh, let's, let's start there. Notice uh, what he's describing. The first thing that he mentions is he started by saying, listen, when you're coming out of the gates, you started off running really well. You started there. You were, you were doing great. How often is that true for, for new believers? That's one of the reasons why we like to be around a, a new Christian because they're what? What's the, de, 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 the description? On fire, right? They're on fire, man. You want to get it's contagious because, because why? Because it's new. They've kept it simple. They're just trying to love people and serve people and share about Jesus Christ. But then somebody, what happens? Somebody comes along and hinders them. What does that look like? Someone introduces them to some, wait, this is, I'll fix you if you, if you do this. This will make you a better Christian. If you do this, they st- everybody starts introducing their to-do lists and what smothers the life and what continues to smother the life out of believers is exactly that. And that's what he's pushing back again. He's like, man, th- th- just know that, that this didn't come. What does it say? It doesn't come from him who calls you. It's not from Christ. That's not it. He didn't introduce these things. He's not the one hindering you. He's saying, he's saying, but these things that have come that started to take away that fire and that fervor. He describes it like this in verse 9. He says, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. 
Anybody who's like, what does that mean? Oh, I, I looked into it, so I'll help. So leaven, the idea of making bread, like you make a big lump out of, of bread, and leaven describes any impurity, anything that's introduced that causes the bread to go bad, to, go, to, to, to get, uh, get rotten over time. Any impurity is what the leaven is. So he's saying a little bit of leaven messes up the whole loaf. How true is that? What well, is point being, even within the body of Christ, it only takes a little bit, little bits, introductions of poison. This person bringing their list of things to do. This person bringing their list. And what happens? It contaminates it. It starts eating it from the inside out. Primary reason why over 3,500 churches will close this year alone in the United States. 3,500, 3,500. Because of infighting and the, the weird stuff. When, when my list doesn't match your list, we start introducing these things. And that's what he's saying. But he's saying, I have hope in you. He's like, man, I, I don't want to see you eaten from the inside out. I uh, started watching this show that somebody recommended to me on Netflix. It's called I Was Bitten. And it has these kind of a, a, a dark show. It's an account of, of different people that have been bitten by poisonous things. And so it's like one story of somebody who's bitten by a spider. One story, if you're afraid of snakes and spiders, not a good show for you. But, uh, but I was intrigued by this idea because I've started to notice like, California has rattlesnakes. Like, that's crazy. And, uh, and, and so those of you from that aren't from the Midwest, it's no big deal. But to me, it's like, wait a second. So I watched one episode that was showing the impacts or the effects of a, di- a bite from a diamondback rattlesnake. So I was watching this and starting to see, and they're explaining how poison works as you're watching this guy, like, explode and, like, weird stuff. And you're saying, is what happens, poison is, is actually digestive juices starts breaking down you from the inside out. Kind of gross, right? Uh, you should watch that show. And, uh, and uh, you start breaking down. But really, that's, that's the picture that he's saying here. He's saying these people, these people, he says, he, he doesn't even know who they are. He's like, whoever he is, whoever it is that's introducing you to this idea that you're going to earn favor with God based on your good works. He says, listen, man, that's going to eat up the church. It's that one little thing that's going to pollute the entire thing. And he points that out. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. But he's encouraging in verse 10. He says, I have a confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view. In other words, you're not going to adopt this way of thinking. And the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty. There's penalty to this idea of introducing all these these to-do lists. Whoever he is. Verse 11, he says, but I, brothers, still preach, but if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? He's saying, it's not me that's teaching this. It's definitely not me. Otherwise, why would I put up with persecution? It wouldn't make sense. He says, in that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. The cross is still offensive. The truth is, in that culture, in the Jewish culture, the cross was very offensive to the listeners. To that, to that time, think about what the cross, we've talked about this before. What does the, the cross actually say about ourselves? It's starting to say some important things. One, it's offensive because it tells us we've failed, that we've blown it. We've fallen short of the standard. That's offensive. How about this? It tells us that I can't fix it. I failed and I can't fix my problem. That's offensive. That's super offensive to the world around us. My actions, how about this one? Is this offensive? My actions deserve eternal punishment. 
That's offensive. That's what the cross says. That, the, that, that we deserve to be there, not him. That's what the cross says. It's offensive. Or how about this? Probably the most offensive out of anything of the cross. I need outside intervention. I need outside intervention. I needed Christ to act on my behalf, to carry the weight of my sin on the cross. I needed his involvement. That's what's offensive. That's what he's saying. Man, don't go back to, to trying to do this on your own. He's saying, listen, he's saying the cross, it's offensive. Yes. He said, but don't change your way of thinking to absorb what you've been, you're being taught, these, these offenders. He's saying they've got what's, they've got what's coming to them. They, they're they're going to be penalized, he's saying. We don't know what that penalizes. He gets so, he gets so fired up in this text. What does he wish upon him? I, I was thinking all, all week, like, how do I explain this to the church? But listen, like, God, like all of Scripture is God-breathed. And this, this is what he says about him. He says, I wish those who unsettle you, those who impose these rules, bringing you back to a works-based mentality, I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. Wow. Pretty intense, right? I don't even really know what to say about that other than it says what it says. Like that's, that's, it. that's how serious Paul took this. People that were introducing this idea, people that were moving us towards legalism. Explaining free, oh, true freedom is when you follow all of these rules. People that are introducing us to license, that, that you know what, do whatever you want. That, those people, he's saying, man, I wish the, I wish the worst for them. That's, that, that's, it's a dangerous thing that they're presenting. But in verse 13, we've been already exposed to this idea that we're called to freedom. It's an inv invitation to real freedom. Well, what did we already decide was real freedom? Not life about me and myself and my wants and my desires. Freedom, freedom isn't legalism, not license, but it's freedom to love. It's no longer about me. Freedom to love Christ. Freedom to love and serve others. That's our jailbreak. That's our jailbreak. That's what we're invited to. It's a beautiful thing. It's an amazing thing. That's where we experience freedom. When you're wondering, you're like, man, why do I feel crippled by all this church stuff and the weight of it? It's because maybe your understanding and your definition isn't in line with Christ. Christ's definitions say, hey, man, when you make life all about you, you're going to fail. It's going to be biting and nipping at each other, and it's going to end up you eating each other up. But he says, but when you make it about me and serving others, it can be an awesome thing. That's my prayer for us as a church. Let me pray. God, we thank you so much for this clear explanation of freedom, your intention of freedom, not one that's independent of even a need for you, not one that's hitting the pause button and interrupting your transformation in our lives, God, but a freedom that's based on love. That's what compels us. Our relationship with you, it starts with our faith in you, and then it, it lives itself out, it works itself out through loving others. God, that's my prayer for us as a church. That's my prayer for myself personally. God, do a work in us. We recognize we need you for this, God, fully. It's not us working harder at this freedom. It's about us experiencing living in that freedom. Pray this on in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Let's live in that freedom this week. God bless you.